Amen. Thank you, Brother Tim. Thank you, Sister Julie, for the worship music this morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm grateful that we get the opportunity to be back in the house of the Lord this morning. It's, it's been too long. Looking back over the past year, I can say that I took for granted this weekly gathering that we have here, and I, I did miss you all dearly, and I'm glad that we get the opportunity to be back together this morning. Um, as Tim mentioned earlier, I would ask you to flip to Luke 10, because that's going to be the uh, passage of Scripture that we are going to be doing this morning. In complete transparency, my original goal for this message was to be a New Year's sermon, something that we could take into our hearts as we begun this new year of 2021, but uh, fortunately, the Lord had a different plan for this message, and I pray that the Holy Spirit will work through me as I deliver this message this morning. Today, we get the opportunity to dive into a passage of Scripture that I have found this week to be extremely convicting to me. And my prayer this morning, as, as the Holy Spirit moves through this gymnasium, that the Holy Spirit may soften our hearts to receive this message that Jesus gave to the 72. But I sincerely hope as we walk away from this message, we can be convicted and encouraged. And beyond this, I hope that we can have um, some intentional guidance by the Holy Spirit. But before we do that this morning, let's bow for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as Brother Tim prayed this morning, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit can move through this place and that it can work through me and give a message that is worthy of your kingdom. Lord, I pray that as, as we go through this message, Lord, that we can be intentional about our prayer, Lord, and that we can recognize that God's harvest is plentiful. And Lord, I pray that we can all be laborers for your kingdom, Lord, that are focused intentionally, sincerely on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you know, we're going to be diving into Luke 10 today. However, given that this chapter begins with the words, after this, before we read it today, I'm going to, be giving, I'm going to attempt to give a little bit of background about the chapter before and how we get to these two words, after this, in Luke 10 too. In chapter 9 of Luke, Jesus is giving his ministry in Bethesda after sending the 12 apostles out into the villages to preach the gospel. After this, Jesus fed the 5,000 with only five loaves of bread and two fish. After this, Peter confesses to Jesus that he is indeed the Messiah, the Son of God. At the last part of Luke ends with Jesus explaining the cost of following himself, saying, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus ends chapter 9 with such a compelling statement that begins a larger focus of our message today. We are set apart by following God. Chapter 10 begins with the statement from Jesus and is where we are going to spend the majority of our time today. Read with me in Luke 10, starting at the beginning. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of them, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The three parts of verse 2 that are going to consume the base of our message this morning are, one, God's harvest is plentiful, two, pray earnestly, and three, the laborers are few. Through these three divine separate points expressed by Jesus, these are going to outline our evangelistic approach that we should intentionally take with our walk with Christ. Let's examine each of these a little bit further. First, God's harvest is plentiful. Shortly after being asked to give this message over the passage of Scripture, I found myself having some difficulties defining exactly what Jesus meant when he referred to God's harvest. I was quickly reminded that the word harvest is referred to in many different passages of Scripture. 
In 2 Corinthians 9.10, it says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. In James 3.18, it states, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in place by those who make peace. In the books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Hosea, the harvest is referred to in kind of a, a negative light and is representative of judgment and condemnation against the unfaithful people of God. Even some consider the passage or the parable of the sower in Luke 8:18 to be an additional reference to the harvest. But what exactly is the harvest of God that Jesus is referring to in Luke 10:2? In a short and simple definition, the harvest is a metaphor for all of God's work, God's faithfulness, and God's grace in our lives. It is a metaphor that states that God is enough, has always been enough, and will always be enough. Yet we see that God's harvest is not described as enough, but plentiful. Plentiful is defined according to the Oxford Language Dictionary as existing in or yielding in great quantities. Other translations of the Bible state that the harvest is abundant in the CSB or truly great in the KJV. Not only is God enough, he is plentiful and abundant. God's grace in our lives will always be more than we deserve. And the work that Jesus fulfilled on the cross is a plentiful substitution for our penalty of sin. All the gifts that the, Lord, that the Lord gives us that we are so accustomed to and take for granted are plentiful. But most importantly, everything we need to spread the gospel has already been provided to us. Let me say that again. Everything we need to spread the gospel has already been provided to us. That's what Jesus is telling us in Luke 10 too. There is nothing more we need to attain in order to start spreading the good news of the gospel. We have it. It's right here with us. And let me stop there for a minute and just let you think, what does that mean to you? Does that resonate in your heart that we have everything we need in abundance to spread the good news of what Jesus did on the cross? Romans 1.16 states, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I believe that we are in a period of spiritual readiness. Even in the midst of a global pandemic, even in the midst of not being able to regularly meet at church, even when it seems like nothing is going right in the world around us, I believe that we are in a period of spiritual readiness. What does that mean? I believe people's hearts are ready to receive the gospel message, plain and simple. I believe people are ready. And doing some preparation for this message, some statistics that I found were very surprising. Christianity in the continent of Africa is growing at an extraordinarily high rate. Zambia, Zimbabwe, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and many other countries are seeing Christianity rates well over 75% of their total population and continually growing. I share this, this piece of data with you this morning to allude to the fact that there are hearts that are willing to receive the message that Jesus is calling us to share. And to comfort you even more this morning, we are not judged by the amount of people we convert. Let us read further into Luke 10 in verses 10 and 11. It says, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Through those verses, Jesus is not telling us that we should pass our own individual judgment on the people who choose not to believe. 
but rather emphasize the impact of their decision not to accept and follow God with all their hearts. Let God do the judgment. Let us share his message. It is a distinction that I find to be such a blessing when considering the role that evangelism plays in my life. God does not determine my seat in heaven depending on how strong of an evangelist I am, but he does call me to be one and to share the gospel until the end of the age. Skipping to the last part of Luke 10 too, I now want to talk about how we should pray earnestly and the fact that Jesus does in fact call us to pray earnestly. Similar to some of the words that our church used to describe some unquestionable characteristics of God over the past year, earnest is one of those words that is not often used in daily life or in the Bible for that matter. So given, given my lack of vocabulary, I turned back to the dictionary and for some assistance. Earnesty, earnestly, excuse me, is defined as with sincere and intense conviction or seriously. So God calls us to play to pray, excuse me, with sincere and intense conviction to the Lord of the harvest who sent, to send out laborers into his harvest. Simple enough. Seems pretty straightforward. Not quite. Earnesty comes from sincerity and intentionality. First, we have to be sincere about the fact that we care about the sanctification for those around us. Jesus points out that there's, there's, it needs to be intentionality when we pray to God about the harvest. It could be compared to the people of Nineveh in Jonah 3.8 as they describe, call out mightily to God. This isn't a nonchalant prayer that you do when it's convenient. There is urgency around the saving of God's people. Might I also point out another way in which this metaphor serves, serves our understanding. We live in a community that is heavily invested into farming. As you've surely seen the harvest doesn't really wait when it's ready. When it's time for the crops to be harvested, the farmers have to act in a, in a, in a swift manner to order to ensure that they, they get their yield before, the, um, before poor weather comes and they lose that crop. The same can be true of God's harvest. If Jesus is telling us that God's harvest is plentiful, then we understand that we only have so much time left before Jesus is coming back to get his people. We don't know when that will be for sure, but we do know he is coming back. A portion of our earnest prayer should be to pray that God, pray to God that Jesus indeed will soon return. It should be an integral part of our walk with Jesus. We should be sincerely calling out to God for Jesus to return. And when we call out to God, that does not mean that we are any less confident in the fact that we will be sure that he will do it. When we call out to God through prayer, it is not saying that we are unsure whether he will be able to complete his promise or not. There is no such thing as praying if God is willing to let Jesus return because we know that God remains faithful to his word. In John 14, one through three, the Bible tells us, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you myself, that where I am, may be all, where I am, you may be also. Excuse me. Our earnest prayer to God is not a question of whether Jesus is returning, but rather it's a sign of repentance, acceptance, and an acknowledgement of who we should be living our lives for. To go a little bit further on that point, several times over the past year, I came across a, ver a verse of scripture in the book of Proverbs. 
It comes from Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, and I found it to be extremely convicting as I was preparing this sermon, and at this point I am preaching to myself. The verse states, in our hearts, humans can plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. In other words, we can make our plans, but the Lord is going to determine our steps. There are many ways in which the scripture guides us to live, but there are also many things that are left open for interpretation. But make no mistake, Jesus told us with his own words that he was indeed coming back to get his people. He didn't give us a date, but he gave us his word, rested on a, sinful, rested on a sinless life that ended on the cross. When we pray to God about the harvest, we must pray with, with sincerity that, re, that re represents our better excuse me, that represents our belief of that. Secondly, we need to be intentional about our earnest prayer. I don't want to belabor the, belabor the point, but we do need to be intentional about our prayer life and specifically about praying about the harvest as the Bible tells us to do. In fact, it's not a coincidence that Luke 10.2 is so commonly contributed to intentional prayer. Across the globe, many followers have set their alarm for 10.02 to intentionally pray to the Lord about the harvest. They pause their interactions of this world and surround themselves with the followers of Christ, bowing in adoration to God at 10.02, whether it's a.m. or p.m. I was reading an article published by the World Gospel Organization this week, and they talked about how this missionary has been conducting what they refer to as the Luke 10.2 challenge since January of 2017. They describe phones ringing of all different tones as, as work comes to a halt. Employees pause to pray to their Father in heaven. And in those meetings, in a public fashion, they also pray to the Lord of the harvest. Can you see it? Do you have that level of intentionality in your prayer life? Are we intentionally praying for spiritual growth for ourselves and our brothers and sisters? Or are we just giving a list of our concerns in the moment to God? I can tell you that I want that level of intentionality in my prayer life that reflects that I care about the sanctification of my church family and of myself. That even though there's a world spinning in all different directions, that I can pause for prayer and be completely intentional about why I'm doing it. What is a better way to share the gospel than that? I encourage you to set your clocks to 10.02, whether it's a.m. or p.m. this week, to have an intentional moment with God and to seek out opportunities to dive into prayer with God. If we could revisit the harvest for a moment, I would like to hit on one last point. Even though the harvest is plentiful and abundant, that doesn't mean that our work is finished. In fact, it means quite the, op the opposite. The metaphor stands firm on this point as well. Any farmer will tell you that when the harvest is abundant and ready, you can't wait. Just because we have a great yield or crop, that doesn't mean our work's complete. It means that our work is just beginning. But Jesus tells us that the laborers are few. And this is my third and final point. I had the opportunity to listen to the Passion Conference that was held on New Year's Eve. And for those of you that are unfamiliar with the conference, it's a large youth Christian conference that gathers annually in cities across the world on a normal year. This year was held online. At the conference, Tim Tebow, a former NFL quarterback and minor league baseball player, made a comment that struck me and made me think about my walk with Christ. Tim said, the laborers don't have to be few anymore. You know, a, a laborer is an interesting way to define God. A laborer is a worker. It has that feeling to the word that you, you, might, you might get a little dirty or you might get a little sweaty. 
You may find yourself in uncomfortable situations as a laborer. It may not be easy. In so much of a literal sense, a laborer is someone who is going to work for the spread of the gospel. A laborer is not someone who is going to sit back, wait, and watch. A laborer is someone who is, going, is not going to be passive towards the Lord's abundant harvest. I believe we need to ask the question, in what ways can we be a laborer this week? How can we be a laborer for the spread of the gospel? Is there someone you can speak with this week? Is there someone you can start a conversation with? How about maybe just a text you can send this afternoon? What small step can you take this week to begin a gospel conversation with somebody you're around every single day? Because whether you've realized it or not, you're in the mission field. You, living life, at work, in your home, at community functions, everywhere you are, you are on the mission field. We have the opportunity to spread the gospel in the situations that we are in. I beg of you not to take that for granted because it truly is a blessing that we have the opportunity to spread the gospel. Just like when focusing on our prayer life, we have to be intentional about the ways in which we spread the gospel because if we're not, there's too many opportunities that are going to pass us by. God puts us in those positions to spread the gospel. It can be just as easy as spending a quick text, sending a quick text that down the road starts salvation towards an individual who never thought about it before. And I want to ask us this morning, are we being laborers for God? Are you being a laborer for God? Because if we have been saved and profess that we are indeed followers of Christ, then we are supposed to be God's workers. That doesn't mean that we are all called to be pastors or, or lead worship music on Sundays, though we are thankful for it, Julie. But we are all called to spread the gospel according to the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And if you haven't accepted Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior, I implore you, implore you to do that today. Jesus loves you. Jesus cares about you and is everything we need in our lives. He died on a cross for you as an atonement for our sins. And all he asks in return is for you to have faith in him so that you may have eternal life through him. And if you have accepted Jesus into your hearts, pray to God this week that you can be a laborer and that others may join in the labor with you. We, when we accept the gracious gift from Jesus, it's a magnificent thing. I promise you that as we begin to live out a faith in our lives and understanding that the harvest is plentiful and, and that we are called to be laborers, we begin to recognize the power that Jesus has as the Lord of our lives. But don't take it from me. Flip over the page or maybe scroll down the page a little bit and look at what the 72 said to Jesus as they return in, in Luke 10, 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And they said to them, I saw Satan, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to, tr to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The 72 returned with joy. Folks, I can't stand up here and promise you that it's going to be easy. I can't stand up here and promise you that you won't find yourselves in awkward situations. But I can tell you that when you turn your eyes upon Jesus and surrender your all for Jesus and begin to live for him, 
you're going to find that joy that the 72 had when they returned. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, Lord, I pray that we can turn our eyes upon you, surrender every idol that we have in our lives, Lord, and that we can pray earnestly, be intentional, because we know that your harvest is abundant. Lord, I pray that as we go into this week, Lord, that we find intentional ways to spread your gospel. Lord, we know that you surround us with opportunities, but it's up to us for lo- to look for them and to be responding to them, and that we do it all through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.